Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. This programme is brought to you by the number 7 and the letter Z. And a very warm welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. If you haven't heard the podcast before, then a very special welcome to you. And if you're a regular listener back for more, thanks so much for all your support. I'm glad you enjoy the podcast. As always, thanks for all your emails, Facebook messages and comments. Our last episode, Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads, seems to have struck a chord with many of you who remember the show fondly And I'm delighted to say that it's become the most downloaded of our 50-odd episodes within its first seven days of release. We now also have more regular listeners than we've ever had. So I take comfort in the fact that we must be doing something right in and amongst my musings on my childhood obsession with watching television. Clearly, I'm not the only 50 or 60-something out there with fond memories of a special time in Britain's history where television played such a crucial key role in our cultural lives. If you have any comments or suggestions on this episode, or indeed anything else we've covered on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page, at My70sTVChildhood. Visit our blog at www.My70sTVChildhood.com. Tweet at 70sTVChildhood, or you can simply email me, Oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. And you might have got a clue on what this episode is about from my opening words, so let's see where we go with this. When I was a child growing up in an ordinary town in northwest England during the 1970s, I think it's fair to say that my boundaries and life experience were fairly limited. As a child, our family, like many others, Never went abroad for holidays, as there was, according to my parents, so much to see and learn about in our own country. In general, foreign countries were exotic, not really like the UK, and actually a bit scary. Maybe it was a bit of a hangover from the war, when going overseas meant something far more serious than a week in Torremolinos. But for me as a small child, anything outside of the UK seemed like another planet rather like Neville Chamberlain's pre-war description of Czechoslovakia as a faraway country of which we know nothing. Although having said that, there was one country which was ever-present on our screens, whether it was through the endless supply of Hanna-Barbera cartoon shows, the multitude of cop shows that we referred to in past episodes, comedies like I Love Lucy and the Beverly Hillbillies, and school holiday shows like Champion the Wonder Horse, Casey Jones and Whirly Birds. Remember that one? Lots of helicopter-based thrills. Anyway, and that country was, of course, the United States of America. We all lapped up US TV imports, but I have to say, I couldn't really understand what America was really like. 
as all of this was a bit confusing. As a six-year-old, I don't think I could fully comprehend the vastness of the 50 states or discern between the all-action gunslinging westerns we watched, or Jed Clampett's attempts to settle in Beverly Hills, or Scooby-Doo. So all in all, I had very little idea of what normal life was like in the US, especially for children like me. But all that changed one morning during a school holiday when I sat down in front of the television and my eyes began to be opened. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Sesame Street? Do, 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 do. Sesame Street both confirmed my view that America was really like another planet, but also began to open up my childlike mind to the fact that there were normal children, just like us, living their lives and learning their life lessons, as well as the cowboys, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, and of course, maverick cops, It also introduced me, and many of you, I'm sure, to appreciate the cultural differences between us and our American cousins. Who knew that the letter Z could be pronounced Z? And why didn't we have drugstores selling candy and ice cream soda pops? And also, why didn't we have signs in Spanish as well as English on the streets of Warrington? All these questions were raised in my my childlike mind. I can't believe there are many of you who don't remember the show, but just in case, here's a quick recap. Sesame Street was produced by the Children's Television Workshop, which had been formed with the the very noble aim of using the hypnotic-like power of television to teach a young audience about numeracy and literacy in a fun, engaging way. And what a good idea it was, not least because, as well as all the usual stuff about numbers and letters, reading and writing, etc., They used a very powerful tool to convey these messages and used puppets provided by Jim Henson. These puppets were what transformed Sesame Street from being just another educational show into something really different. They also became one of my 70s absolute TV favourites, especially when they were to later get their own show. I'm talking about the Muppets, of course. In Sesame Street, there was a whole cast of Muppet characters, including some who lived alongside the human inhabitants, like Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Big Bird was basically a six, seven or maybe even eight foot tall man in a bright yellow bird costume, who was, at heart, a little kid. And a little kid who needed friends, and also needed to learn some of the simple lessons of childhood life, like being polite to others and how to recite the alphabet. He lived in a big nest by the side of the street, from memory, and had a sort of large woolly mammoth called Mr Snuffleupagus as his best friend. Although whenever anyone else appeared, Mr Snuffleupagus would disappear, leaving the humans thinking Big Bird, like many children, had an imaginary friend. 
His nest was also next to where Oscar the Grouch lived. Oscar, a bad-tempered, rather mangy, I seem to remember, furry creature, introduced me both to the words grouch, which I hadn't heard before, and also trash, as he lived in a trash can, or what we knew better in those days as a dustbin. Now, apparently, a group of child psychologists had recommended that the Muppets and humans shouldn't appear together, as they thought it would confuse small children. But in test screenings, the programme makers found that the kids absolutely loved the Muppets, but found all the human scenes, well, well, a bit dull. So the Muppets became instrumental in the show. As well as Big Bird and Oscar, there were lots of characters who appeared in short sequences of their own, often involving reading or counting. There was the Dracula-like Count, who emerged from his coffin to, well, well, to do this. Ah, yes. Ah, Oh, greetings, it is I, the Count, and it's time to answer that fascinating question, what is the Sesame Street number of the day? Ah, ah, let's count the bats and find out. Ah, that's one. One bat. Two. Two bats. Three. Three fabulous flyers. Ah, ah, ah. And there was the cookie monster. Cookie. Now, there's another word I learned, having always thought there was no real alternative to the plain old English biscuit. Um, and most people love the cookie monster, as he did exactly what they were not allowed to do. And he stuffed his face with cookies, making a huge mess. The most frequently featured pair of Muppets in Sesame Street was Ernie and Bert, who reminded me a bit of Morecambe and Wise. They were two men who lived together in an apparently platonic relationship in a basement apartment on Sesame Street. And typically, their sketches would involve Ernie doing something a bit silly and Bert trying to be the sensible straight man. They were a very endearing pair, Obviously, very good friends, and kids love them. Ernie was just like one of them, impetuous, harebrained, often seemingly hyperactive, whereas Bert was like something like an older sibling or a parent, preferring to sit in his chair reading a book to the madcap skeins of Ernie. But then my favourite Muppet on Sesame Street, and probably my favourite Muppet of all time, began by making regular appearances as a roving TV news reporter in Sesame Street. We take you now to Kermit the Frog at the scene of another fast-breaking news story. Hi, oh, this is Kermit the Frog speaking to you from the scene of the accident, uh, where Mr. Humpty Dumpty has just fallen off of his wall. And to recapitulate that story, you may remember that Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, and Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all of the king's horses, and all of the king's men, and, uh, uh, wait a minute, that's one of the king's cows back there. Pardon me, cow, I believe it's uh, just supposed to be all the king's horses here. Come on, get out, get out, get out! Kermit, voiced by his creator Jim Henson, was the voice of reason. A pretty reasonable sort of guy, who was the one who explained things in simple terms to children, or who provided a foil to characters like Grover, another rather indistinct furry animal of some sort. He was thoroughly decent and instantly likeable, and I and lots of other children thought he was great. 
And so did the powers that be in the entertainment world, as, in 1976, he was given the lead role in a new series, which proved to be one of the 70s most popular children's TV shows, and one which was equally enjoyed by many adults. It's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Mr. Steve Martin! show had a slightly strange early life. Jim Henson had made a couple of pilot episodes with the American broadcaster ABC, but the network hadn't taken to the idea of Henson's Muppets working with human celebrities. And so the idea of the show seemed doomed, until Lou Grade, boss of the UK's ATV television station, spotted the potential and developed the show. So we have the strange situation where this archetypally American institution of Jim Henson's Muppets from Sesame Street, um, they branched out into their own show, which was produced and filmed in England at Lou Grade Studios in Elstree. This meant that what became one of the US's favourite TV shows actually came from Hertfordshire, something most unexpected. I loved The Muppet Show from the first time I saw it. It used to be on on Sunday afternoons, and as a special treat... I'd sometimes have fish fingers and chips and peas for Sunday tea in front of the Muppet Show on the television. I'm sure the context of gathering as a family on a Sunday afternoon certainly reinforces how much I love the show, but I'm pretty sure that I enjoyed it for what it was as well, which was hugely entertaining and really lots of fun. Again, and I can't believe there are many of you who don't remember the show, this is basically what happened. The show was based in the Muppet Theatre, where Kermit the Frog was a sort of impresario come stage manager, I guess, managing the performance of The Muppet Show, which was, in effect, an old-fashioned musical variety show, interspersed with various recurring sketches and characters. Oh, and there was always a special guest star, sometimes a popular American performer who was maybe not so well known over here, but often some of the great and the good of entertainment. So over the years, guests included the likes of Sylvester Stallone, Danny Kaye, Julie Andrews and Ethel Merman, as well as popular musicians like John Denver and Elton John. All were treated irreverently by the manic Muppets as they were persuaded to take part in some ill-judged sketch or theatrical performance, which largely drew laughs at the celebrities' expense. And all of this was done against the backdrop of acts coming and going onto the stage, shepherded on and off by Kermit, and the whole thing was done at breathless pace. It would take more time than we've got available to name all the characters. But here are some of my favourites. Miss Piggy was Kermit's love interest, or more accurately, she pursued him, and she was the show's resident diva, a sort of a sort of poor sign Elizabeth Taylor, if you like. The show had a regular stand-up comedian 
It was Fuzzy Bear, a large brown, well, well, bear. Although his jokes were not often as funny as he'd imagined, and you must remember the two old men, Statler and Waldorf, who spent the whole show heckling from a box in the theatre. We also had the great Gonzo, who was some kind of bird, I think, or their species rather undefined, whose spectacular stunts would often go spectacularly wrong, as well as Ralph, a jazz piano playing dog, the stern and sober Sam, an American eagle who used to lecture us, the audience, on moral issues and bad behaviour. And we also had some European representation. The Swedish chef never failed to make me laugh. And in fact, I'm smiling now just listening to that and thinking about it. The sketches were simple but extremely silly and therefore hilarious for children. And Henson and his team knew exactly how to make children laugh. Music was provided by the in-house band Dr Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, featuring Animal on the drums. And Kermit's assistant Scooter tried to manage the backstage chaos. It was anarchic, silly, funny, manic and really fast-moving. All the perfect ingredients for excitable children. I loved it then, and I really have to admit I still do. I even think that most of the Muppet movies have been pretty good as well, and that the Muppet Christmas Carol is as good a retelling of Dickens's A Christmas Carol as any. Anyway, what else made the show so great? There are a number of recurring slots, like... Once again, for Veterinarian's Hospital, the continuing story of a quack who's gone to the dogs. Well, Nurse Janice, who's the next patient? We'll see for yourself, Dr. Bob. Oh, oh it's Kermit! My Kermit! Oh, All right, take it easy. I'm okay. Quiet. This is a very dramatic moment. Oh, 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 Kermit, I shall nurse you back to health if it takes a lifetime. What do you think's wrong with him, Dr. Bob? Well, for one thing, he's been badly exposed to overacting. (laughs) And also, their own version of Star Trek. And now, another controvertible episode of Pigs in Space! Starring the voracious Captain Link Pogthrob, the gluttonous first mate Piggy, and the Assyrian Dr. Julius Strangeport. Tonight's episode, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And finally, they even provided up-to-the-minute scientific insights. A bit like a version of Tomorrow's World. Welcome again to Muppet Labs, where the future is being made today. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew here with news to set you a quiver. Beaker, Beaker, dear lad, come over here. Oh, Beaker, you forgot the Beaker. Now, get the Beaker, Beaker. Come on. 
you are about to see the first sample ever isolated of the new element, bunsonium, contained in this self-same beaker here. So far, we have found no use for bunsonium. We already know that it does not remove paint, it isn't a good glue, and when used as a shampoo, it produces unusual side effects. Right, Beaker? So the Muppet Show gave us half an hour of escapism on a Sunday afternoon before we had to go back to school on a Monday. Half an hour where we were transported into a mad world where pigs went to space. A frog ran the show and famous people were humiliated. Perfect for a tea time treat for children. Obviously, when I got to secondary school late in the 1970s, I had to be a bit careful about sharing my love of the Muppets. Even by the time I was 11, I still enjoyed watching the show, but like so many things at that age, you didn't want to be seen as childish or silly. So I'd deny enjoying or even watching programmes aimed at you know, what we call little kids. But I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only one still watching the Muppets aged 11. Now, as a man in my 50s, I really don't care who knows that I like the Muppets as a kid. Actually, I'm going to go further than that. I really like them now, and I do find them very funny and still find them really endearing. Thank you, Jim Henson. Were you a Muppet Show fan, or did you like Sesame Street? Or did you not like them at all? Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page at My 70s TV Childhood, tweeting at 70s TV Childhood, visiting our blog at www.my70stvchildhood.com, or you can just email me, oliver at my 70s TV Childhood.com. Well, that's all we've got time for for now. But before I go, I just want to remind you that this podcast has been brought to you by the number seven and the letter Z.